Brian Bain is the one who will be teaching this quarter. Uh, uh, he and Lee are out of town just for a few days, so I'm just uh, filling in for him, but he'll be picking up you know, the ongoing study of the rest of the book of Acts. And so you, know, there, you have you know, the, the schedule. Today we're to try to do an overview of the 13th and 14th chapters as we get into the study. I wanted just to kind of uh, tie in, as chapter 12 is uh, uh, closing out, you know, there's a statement that is made in verse 24 uh, that says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. I think that's a very significant point as you have you know, a chapter in there in the 12th, uh, the 12th section Talking about persecution, opposition, uh, an apostle is, is executed, you know, an apostle is imprisoned, uh, and you've got a lot of um, uh, opposition against God, against you know, the gospel, against Christians uh, being talked about. And in spite of that, you know, we, we are told that the word of the Lord continued to grow. And you think of that idea, how the hand of the Lord you know, was still at work, and it was being very successful you know, through his, the, the diligent work of his faithful people in spite of all the persecution, in spite of all the threats, and perhaps even the fears they had within themselves. You know, the word of the Lord continued to grow, and so it, it begins to kind of show you know, a good transition from the 12th chapter to the 13th chapter as we get into the section here that talks about, you know, the work that's being done by the Apostle Paul. If you recall, uh, the book of Acts is really uh, an account about some of the work of some of the apostles, and it highlights various things along the way. And so from chapter 13 onward to the end of the book, it's highlighting the work of the gospel, the work of the Lord, you know, that's being accomplished through the Apostle Paul and his co-workers. Previously, Peter was kind of uh, a key character, a key apostle, that there's a lot of focus about what he's doing. Now it shifts. You know, Peter is still doing the work of the Lord. You know, just the account of Acts now looks at the spread of the gospel into the world. And so we start with the church in Antioch of Syria, uh, who, which was established back in Acts 11, as we're told. And so you have this strong church, you have this growing church of the Lord in this city of Syria. And it appears to be, when you're reading the second section, that it appears to be that Antioch served kind of as a home base, a home base for Paul's mission trips. And, of course, these missions are all about the preaching of God's word, preaching God's power that has to save souls. And so his missions were not about building hospitals or building schools or even, for that matter, building church buildings. It was about proclaiming the message so that souls can be saved. And so that's the focus of the work that Paul is doing. And so you start here in Antioch. Yeah, like I said on the map, it's in the northern section there of the country of Syria. And we are introduced to the fact that in this church, you know, there is a number of prophets and teachers, and they are named 
Barnabas is in that list. Saul, who becomes known as the Apostle Paul, starting here in the 13th chapter. And from then on, that's how he's addressed. That's how he's identified. And, but you've got a couple others. For example, you've got a man by the name of Lucius of Cyrene. If you recall, back in Acts 11, it was Cyrenian Christians that actually came up from Jerusalem to Antioch and began preaching the gospel you know, at the beginning, there at the first. And so this teacher or prophet named Lucius may have been one of those original teachers, original preachers of Christ in Antioch. But then there's an, an, another interesting character by the name of Menaean. You know, if you look there in Acts 13, verse 1, Menaean is said to be who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And that particular Herod, uh, he's talked about, for example, Matthew 14, 1. Uh, refers to the Herod, Herod the Tetrarch. It was the Herod that beheaded or had you know, John the Baptist beheaded. And so this is Herod Antipas. And so Menaean you know, was a companion you know, you know, with Herod. He you know, was brought up with him and so knew him in those younger days, in those younger years. And so you have prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch, all part of God's plan, God's design, God's ordination. If you recall, in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, would you very quickly glance over to that? When you think about the establishment of the Lord's church and the growth of the Lord's church in the first century, God, Christ, and the Spirit working together, we, have, we see it was God's plan that there would be certain ministers that would serve within the church for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so... In verse 11, it says that, uh, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and some as teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And so in Antioch, he says, okay, there's teachers and prophets. Why are they there? Well, it is God's plan. It is by God's design, and it is all part of the work of the Holy Spirit that is revealed to us here in the book of, in the book of Acts as the Spirit was very active in the first century. And so you've got these prophets and teachers there, and, and they're named, and this is by God's plan, by God's design, so that... You know, not only the gospel will spread elsewhere, but so that the body in that location may be strengthened, you know, may be equipped, may be built up. 1 Corinthians 14, 3 talks about the prophets in the church at Corinth, which is a church that will be established later on in the account of the book of Acts. But in chapter 14, verse 3, when talking about, you know, you know what was the purpose of prophets? What are the purpose of, the, you know, of, of saints, of, of Christians having the gift of prophecy? He says, well, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. And so there were prophets and teachers in the church at Antioch for the purpose of, 
of edification, exhortation, and consolation because by God's design, their work is to equip saints for the building up of the body of Jesus Christ. And so he just describes to us, I think what that does, it describes to you, to us, how quickly you see the maturity of this local body of believers in Antioch. Yeah, and so you're talking about just in a few years, you've got a thriving, growing church of believers here. And it is at this point, you know, like I say, this is the introduction to the first journey that Paul makes as he goes outward. But it is while they are here, you know, Barnabas and Saul, that the Holy Spirit then reveals that they are to send out those two ministers, those two prophets, teachers, out so that they do the work that they have been called to do. And so the Spirit commissions Barnabas and Saul to go preach. And so that's what they do. And as they do so, it says, they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and they sent them away. In this context, you see that the laying on the hands of on Barnabas and Saul is not for the giving of the Holy Spirit. They have already been endowed and empowered to the Holy Spirit. This is simply uh, a customary method of when you set someone, when you chose someone, you know, to uh, for a special work, for approved work. There was this customary method: you would lay their, your hands on them and send them out with your blessing, with your greeting, you know, with your, your support, you know, so that their work goes well. And so that's what they do, because all of this is part of God's plan. All of this is part of the Spirit at work in them. And so we move very quickly then to the first place they are, they, they are at, and it is on the island of Cyprus, Yeah. Now, they go to Cyprus, you know, not only because you know, the Holy Spirit sent them out, but it's because the Holy Spirit's directing them. You know, you know, why did they choose the path they did? Well, they did so because that's what the Holy Spirit directed them to do. He sent them out for that. And you know, I think that's the implication of verse 4. So being sent out by the Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So, you know, you know, they could, could have they gone a different route? Yes, they could have gone a different route. But by the Spirit, they're sent out, and they go to Cyprus. Now, when are we first introduced to Cyprus in the book of Acts? Anybody remember? It's early on. When are the start introduced to the, the island of Cyprus? It's way back in Acts 4. And you're introduced to uh, a, a son of encouragement. And it's Barnabas. Barnabas was from Cyprus. And so that's, you know, that's when you're introduced to, to you know, this island uh, so here's Barnabas is going back to his place of birth to preach the gospel. But even before that, before they do this, if you recall back in Acts 11, when you have the establishment of the church at Antioch being uh, uh, recorded for us, we find that you, know, you had men to come to Antioch, but also you had Christians go to Cyprus. In Acts 11, verse 19, it talks about how the saints that were scattered went to Phoenicia, went to Cyprus, went to Antioch. And so you had these three locations. So the gospel has already come to Cyprus before even Barnabas and Saul 
have, have arrived on the island. It has already reached the, uh, the, the island to what extent, we don't know. But we do know that you know, in Acts 11, when those Christians, those first Christians, went to the island, it says they were, all, they were, they were just focusing on Jews, converting Jews to the faith, converting Jews to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so perhaps you know, you know, because of that, you know, there is this you know, significant and important aspect that Barnabas and Saul have to fulfill. And so they go to Cyprus. You know, there's not much told about you know, what goes on on the island. They basically start on one end of the island, go to the other end. And there's one little account that uh, you know, is shared with us. But they would go to the Jewish synagogues. Uh, you know, at first, you're going to see a shift here. At first, there was this welcoming opportunity to be able to preach the, the gospel in the synagogues, that will change. You know, synagogues are not going to be as open you know, for Christians. Jews who have been converted to Christ, Christians, they're not going to welcome them so easily later on to come in and, and share a message with them. But here, at this point, there is still this kind of open door you know, policy among them. And so Paul and Barnabas take advantage of that opportunity. They're going to use that opportunity, so they go and, and they, you know, they're you know, teaching uh, Jews concerning Christ. But you know, we want to, you know, what we're told about is about pro, this proconsul, and then we're told about this you know, sorcerer, you know, where you've got you know, a sorcerer who's trying to hinder the proconsul from coming to a knowledge of the truth and becoming a believer. And so, you know, Sergius, you know, does become a believer, you know, af- you know, you know after hearing the word. You know, uh, anybody know what a proconsul is? It's a leader. It's a, you know, basically, what it is an elected magistrate. It's an elected official who's going to, you know, rule over a region, over a province, as a governor would. You know, so that's what a proconsul is. Uh, it was a common... Uh, uh, Role a common official in in the days of the Roman Empire, and so Sergius is that you know, here in in Paphos you know, and of Cyprus, and he's, he's described as a, an intelligent man. Some version may say a man with understanding. I think that's an interesting way to describe this this fellow. But here is a man of understanding, and he's an intelligent man. And what does he want to hear? He wants to hear the gospel. Here's, here's one who has an interested, inquiring mind. And he's not going to simply dismiss the gospel. Well, I don't want to hear that, that new stuff. I don't want to hear you know, you know, you know, what these people are spreading around. No, he, he's an intelligent man, a man with understanding, who wants to hear. He wants to, he wants to hear, he wants to weigh the message for himself. And he does. It's interesting to find that it says he you know, sought out Barnabas and Saul. It's not like you know, Barnabas and Saul just kind of showed up at his door. No, this man is hearing, about, I guess, about Barnabas and Saul, the work that's going on. And he, he, he says there in verse 7 that he summoned them to hear the word of God. Yeah. He's going to tell his man, you know, and so to hear and believe in the word of God 
does not mean you're not intelligent. Even though there's a lot of people, opponents to the truth, opponents to the gospel of Christ will try to undermine and try to mock you know, people who have faith in God and faith in Jesus Christ and faith in the Bible. You know, it is the intelligent, understanding mind that seeks to hear and know the message of the Creator. And as a result of that, because of what he heard and what he saw, we are told that he becomes a believer. It produced faith in the one faith. But that was not without obstacles. If you think about it, success does not mean you know, the path will, will be without obstacles, without you know, hindrances. No, Success often involves that there's going to be hurdles, there's going to be roadblocks that you've got to get through. And so that's kind of the role Elemis or Bar-Jesus uh, uh, was kind of fulfilling as he, now this is a Jew, we're told he was a Jew, a false prophet, a sorcerer or a magician, depending what version you have, you know, who, he says, he was seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And he was not successful. But what we have here is you have, here's an individual who is actively trying to turn this man away from the faith. Does that still happen? Yes. It still happened today in our world. There are those who actively seek to turn people's hearts and people's minds away from the word of God's truth. On this occasion, you have Paul, by the Spirit, rebukes this man's deceitfulness, rebukes his unrighteousness, and basically kind of calls him out on, on, on the matter and says, your allegiance and your parentage is of the devil. Basically, he says, you are a son of the devil, Elemas, and the hand of the Lord is going to be on you, and you're going to be blinded for a time. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And because of what you know, Sergius saw, and but because he was already amazed by the teaching of Christ, he become he became a believer. And so then they leave uh, this island and they go on to Antioch of Pisidia. Yeah, so it is at this point we're told when they get to Pamphylia that John Mark, who had been with them, he started the journey. Yeah, returns home to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit in the Scriptures never tell us why he left. Now, you're going to address, you know, it caused a problem between two brothers. But it, we're never told why. And so we don't need to start surmising about all the whys of that. Because we don't know. We don't know why. But he did. He left. He went back to Jerusalem, that was his home, and so Barnabas and, and Paul continued their work of preaching the gospel, and as of their custom, they went first to the synagogue in, in this Antioch of Pisidia. You know, it's not, you know, so you got two different Antiochs, just like in our, our country. You know, there's practically in every, every state you know, you know, you know, a, a name you know, of all the different towns. Amazing how, how many you know, different places, are, even our own country, that have the same, same name. And so, same as at that point, at that time as well. 
And so they go, and they're, you know, they're there. They, uh, they don't barge in, take over. You know, they've gone to the synagogue. After the reading of the law and the prophet, it is then that they are invited to share a word of encouragement. And Paul takes that opportunity and uses it very well. And very interestingly, you know, when you sum up that word encouragement, this, this is the outline of it. He addresses them as men of Israel and men who fear God, you know, which implies that you know, in the synagogue present were not just Jews, but probably proselytes as well. And so you had men of Israel who had been of the lineage you know, uh, that goes back to Abraham, but then you had God-fearers you know, you know, as well in that audience. And so he begins to proclaim to them this word of encouragement you know, and it's not all about, oh, everything's wonderful, everything's good, you know, let me just, you know, you know, make you feel good. No, it's about giving a message that could save them. So it starts off with some history. Very quickly, he spans, you know, basically from Egypt all the, all the way, you know, to David, King David, and then from there, you know, begins talking about Jesus Christ. And he said, okay, God chose, God led, and God put up with Israel. And God then destroyed nations, and God distributed the land, and God raised up judges and kings. After that, he says, God promised, and God brought to Israel a Savior. I think it's very interesting how Paul says that here in this message, that God promised this, and he brought brought the Savior Jesus to Israel, there in verse 23, from the descendants of this man, that is David, King David, from the lineage of King David, according to promise. See, God promised this. He says, so according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. But you know, we know, you know, what, what happened. What happened was, you know, because Jews and its leadership were ignorant of the very words of the prophets they read, Paul makes the point. The very words you read, you were ignorant of. You read it, but you didn't know what you were reading. And he says, with your rulers, you crucified innocent Jesus. You found no blame. There is, there, there is no true blame against this man. And you crucified an innocent man. But then what did God do again? Well, God steps in and God raised up Jesus from the dead. And he fulfilled the promise that he spoke to you. And there's a number of of quotations taken from the Old Testament. One is Psalm 2, verse 7. Another is Isaiah 55, verse 3. And then the third is Psalm 16, verse 10. All kind of revolving around, pivoting on what God did. God raised him up. He promised you this. That's what he, you know, he promised that in Psalm 2 when he said, Today, you know, you know, he says, I have begotten you. And he promised that to you in Isaiah when he says, I will give to you the holy and sure blessings of David. It's because of the resurrection God can do that. It is also there in you know, Psalm 16 when he says, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. That's, he says, that's a promise God made to you about your Savior, Jesus. He goes on to say, well, David, on the other hand, David served God's purpose. 
David died. And notice what he says. David underwent decay. David returned to the dust from which he was made. As we all will and do until we're raised by the voice of the Son of God. And so David died and David underwent decay, but the one God raised did not. See, God raised him up. You you notice notice the emphasis here of all that God did. God did this and God did did that. All the way to the point of bringing Christ into the world, the Savior in the world, in spite of what you try to do and what you did do, God conquered your attempts you know, with the victory of Christ's resurrection. And so now, he says, what we're doing, we're preaching the good news of the promise. We're preaching to you the good news of the promise, and it is a message of salvation. And he says, through Jesus, you look there in verse, down in verse uh, 38 and 39, it is through Jesus forgiveness is proclaimed. The law cannot do that. The law of Moses cannot do that for you. And what, what, you know, what the law could not do in freeing you, Christ can. And he ends by saying, basically, take heed. Listen to your prophets. You know, and he quotes from Habakkuk. Habakkuk, and he says, I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Habakkuk is about judgment. He says, you need to listen to this message of salvation. You need to listen to this message of forgiveness. You need to listen to the the message of God's promise to you. It is all found in Jesus Christ, your Savior. And if you don't take heed, God's going to do something that is unimaginable. Beware of God's judgment. That was Paul's word of encouragement. And it, and it pricked many hearts, you know, to the point that it says that many were favorable, you know, many were favorable to the message, you know, they wanted to hear more from him, from them, uh, you know, then it says by, by next week, and so the next, by next Sabbath, it says, you know, Practically the whole town assembled to hear the preaching of the word of the Lord. And so, you know, that's, you know, you know we think Paul and Barnabas are, are teaching and preaching all week long, you know, telling what others are talking about. You know, it's, you, know, all, you think about the hype that's, that's kind of building up here. And so it's an exciting time. But then Jews, you know, who become jealous, we're told, in chapter 13, verse 45. They become jealous of the popularity. They become jealous of the influence of Paul and Barnabas. And so they began to oppose the message. A week earlier, they weren't opposing it. A week earlier, they were not blaspheming against it. But a week later... You know, they, they see how the gospel has impacted and changed so many lives. Now these Jews, you know, are jealous, and so they begin to speak against them. But then as God had promised, 
Paul and Barnabas turn their focus now to Gentiles. And he quotes from another passage found in Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 6 and 49, 6 as well, where he says, God promised, I have placed you, speaking of Jesus Christ, the servant of God, he says, I place you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And so, Paul and Barnabas basically tell those Jews, you know, you're rejecting the message of salvation. You're rejecting this message of truth. And because you're rejecting it, we're turning our work to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are excited about that. They're rejoicing. Many more believed. Uh, it says uh, in verse 48, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. And so good things are happening in spite of all this opposition, in spite of, uh, uh, of these obstacles you know, you know, to the gospel, the word of God is doing his work. But you know, the enemies of the cross are able to eventually drive Paul and Barmas out of the city, and so they go elsewhere. They're not going to stop preaching, so they go to the city of Iconium now, and uh, The first six verses of the 14th chapter, they're preaching the gospel there. As before, they they first went to the synagogue there in Iconium and spoke to a number of people, both Jews and Greeks. And it says, a large number of people believed when they heard the word of encouragement, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the flip side of that is, but also there are Jews who disbelieve that begin to stir up trouble, and it is that trouble that uh, led them to eventually flee Iconium as well, because you know they are making plans to stone Barnabas and Paul. One, one thing I want to focus in this is in verse 3 of the 14th chapter, where it says, you know, here you've got, you've got these opponents, you've got these people who are stirring up trouble. You know, it's not like you know, Paul and Barnabas left immediately. He says, he says, therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who is testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. In spite of the opposition, in spite of the growing uh, attempts of persecution, you know, Paul and Barnabas always kept on preaching. They always kept on preaching, never stopped. No matter what threat to them, no matter what harm was done to them, they just kept on preaching boldly. Why? Because they believed. They believed Jesus. They believed God. They believed the truth. And so they relied on him. They relied on God. Their father relied on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the word of God's grace continued to be very impactful wherever they went as they confirmed the message you know, that they were doing you know, with miracles. I would suggest to you reliance on God does not mean that the road will be smooth. Just because you rely on God does not mean that your journey will be easy. 
And nor does it mean that it will be all, always be happy moments. It is your reliance on God that gets you through the difficulty. It is your reliance on God that helps you face the obstacles and the opposition. It is your reliance on God that helps us to endure hardship and persecution. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing here. As, as the gospel continues to succeed you know, in great ways in all these different places, the opposition is growing too. So as the word increases, so is the opposition increasing. And so they leave, you know, when they finally hear about the attempt, the plan is to stone them. They leave Iconium to go to you know, the towns of Lystra and Derby. And we're told early on there, in verse, beginning in verse 7 you know, and 8, uh, well, there was a man there in the city, you know, you know, sitting and listening to the preaching of the gospel and um, he was lame, and he had been lame from birth. He says he had never walked. You think about it. He never walked. That means he never experienced toddling. <laughs> he didn't learn to walk. It's one thing you, you learn to walk, and then you lose the ability to walk, and you might have to retrain your legs again, but in your mind, <laughs> you know, you know, you, you know how to walk. But this, this man had never walked in his life. And Paul took notice of him as he sat there listening. And so what Paul does, he heals him. He have this, you have this very attentive listener that Paul heals, commands him to get up on his feet, and he does immediately. When the crowds, it says crowds, verse 11. So not just crowd, <laughs> crowds. You know, react to this, and what we see is they, they overreact. And they overreacted and began calling uh, Barnabas the god of Zeus and calling Paul the god Hermes because Paul was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus was about to offer sacrifice you know, you know, to them when you know, it says they ran into, into the crowd to stop them from worshiping them. And eventually they do. They were, you know, with much effort, they were able to kind of stop it, restrain them, it says. And so, so they really did, took a lot of persuading, convincing, and, and, and getting them to you know, you know, back off from doing this. But what's interesting here is in chapter 14, you know, Barnabas is uh, obviously the co-worker of Paul, and in the context, you know, it says the apostles, the apostles ran into the crowd. Twice in chapter 14, Barnabas is named or described as an apostle in the context of this chapter. And so how do we explain that? You know, because he's not, you know, Barnabas was not, you know, he was not in the first 12, you know, you know, he wasn't you know, you know, chosen to take the place of Judas, that was Matthias, and nor was he selected by Christ as Paul was. And so, yeah, so how do we explain the idea that Barnabas is described as an apostle? Huh? Yes, he's a messenger. You go back to the original meaning of the word apostle. Anybody know what that original meaning is? Someone who is 
sent. Was Barnabas sent? Yes, he was sent. And he was sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, he was not an apostle in the same way as Peter, James, and John, or Matthias, or Paul. But he was a chosen messenger, chosen of the Spirit, and he was sent out. There's another very significant uh, name, person, being that is called an apostle in the book of Hebrews. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about you know, the apostle and high priest of your faith, Jesus Christ. It says, consider him. You know, now, Jesus is not an apostle like these others, but he was God's messenger. He was God sent. And so in that technical sense, he was an apostle. And so for that reason, in the context of chapter 14, Barnabas is kind of lumped in as God's messenger sent out, and he, and he is Paul's co-worker. Now what restrains them from being worshipped is what you know, Paul and Barnabas do, and they basically have to convince the crowd you know, by the truth, with the truth. And there's three, you know, basically, there's just three main things that they emphasize. One, he says, you need to turn from your vain idolatry. He, he says, he says sorry, we're just men. We're just men. We're, 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 we're men like you. We're no different from you. you know, but we've been sent to preach a message, to preach good news. And the good news is, first of all, the good news is you need to turn from your vain idolatry. Yeah. That's good news. It is good news to be told what you need to change. It is good news to be told what you need to stop doing. Because if what you're doing is wrong, it was, it, what you're doing is going to cause you to lose your soul. Being told not to stop that is good news. But also they say, okay, you need to not only turn from vain idolatry, you need to turn to the living God, making the point that their idol is a dead God. <laughs> it's not a, a God really at all. You know, he's not a living being. Those gods are not living divine beings. But he says you need to turn away from the one. You need to turn to the living God. And let me tell you who he is. He's the creator. He's the creator of everything around you. And he is a creator who has given you witness. He's given you witness through your fruitful seasons. God has already let you know of who he is by what surrounds you. The world in which you live and the blessings you receive from him from season to season as he gives you rain and as he gives you produce to sustain your very existence. You need to turn from the one, turn to the other, because God has spoken to you. He's spoken to you through his creation, and he is now speaking to you through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so verse 18, he says, With difficulty they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them, but how quickly the crowd can be swayed. Chapter 14, to me, says a lot about people. You know, you think about it. What happens is there's Jews that come from Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium, these opponents, these unbelievers who have an agenda. 
And their agenda is to stop at all costs those whom they disagree with. That's their agenda. To stop at all costs those whom they disagree with. They oppose Paul. They oppose Barnabas. They oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they come to, uh, here to you know, Lystra, and, and they are able to sway the crowd. Here's the crowd that were calling them gods and were trying to worship them. And then in a matter of time, not seconds, but in a matter of per, perhaps days, you know, they sway. And now the crowd wants to stone their gods. <laughs> supposedly, but they're not, you know, Paul and Barnabas are not gods, and, but they succeed this time. Remember Iconium, they flee because they heard there was an attempt to stone. This time they're successful. Eventually, the enemy succeeds in one way or another, and they do. So they stone Paul, and thinking he's dead, it says now they drag his carcass, his body, out of the city. They show no respect to this man. They hate him. They despise him. And so they have no respect for him in any sense. But to me, when you think about you know, different kind of key verses that show just the power of God at work, when it started off in chapter 12, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. I think chapter 14, you know, that verse is here is, let me find my verse, I lost track, is verse 20. When he says, while the disciples stood around. So here is, you know, okay, he's been drug out, and now the disciples has followed this, you know, mob, you know, uh, killing. And the disciples are there looking at the mutilated body, uh, abused body, of their brother Paul. They're there watching. He says, while the disciples stood around him, he got up, entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to to Derby. God works. And God's will will be accomplished. And God's plan will be fulfilled. It is after they preach in Derby for a bit that then, you know, as we kind of close off the, the uh, uh, come on. They go back and they revisit all of the various churches that they had, you know, established. Think about that, going back to all the same cities that, you know, attempts or persecution had been imposed upon them. But they're going back this time, not so much to reach, uh, have an outreach situation, but uh, really to, uh, to meet with the brethren, uh, to strengthen them, to encourage them, to continue in the faith. Because they know, as they say, they know through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Just because we become a Christian, life doesn't necessarily get easier. We've got to work at continuing in the faith. And so they strengthen them. They appoint elders in every church. And they go back to Antioch, to their home base. And they tell them all about the work that they had done. Thank you very much for your attention. Appreciate that.